Chris Payne from Euclid, Ohio, and you are listening to Barbecue Central. Do it live. Okay. Well, do it live. I can. I'll write it and we'll do it live. So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike your match, and oh, should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Welcome to the really big Barbecue Central Show. This is the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. The show originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city, Bomb City, USA, Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evenings, a live fire fun and frivolity show. If you want to get in contact with the show tonight or you want to follow the show during off-show hours, here's how you do all of that. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to Greg at the BBQ com. Follow us on all the social media channels at BBQ Central Show. And be sure to subscribe to the show podcast feed on your favorite podcast platform. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you can get the newsletter coming up in about 12 minutes from now. The second Tuesday of the month, and that brings a visit from our pal, the creator of AmazingRibs.com, Meathead. One major topic of the evening, and then one subtopic of the evening. The major topic being the aging of beef. There's a couple different ways to do it. Maybe there's more than a couple ways, but the ways that most people know about are wet aging. So we'll talk about wet aging, what that entails, what that lends to the protein, if anything at all. And then we'll talk about my favorite dry aging, taking a nice piece of beef out to, let's say, 100 plus days, getting the funk factor going on that piece of beef. You may not be as funky as me, but are you funky enough, as the DOC used to say back in the day? So wherever your level of funkitude is on meat... Meathead and I will talk about dry aging side of things, what the process of that is like, what that does to the meat. So for all of you intermediate to expert level fans of the show or media to expert level live fire cookers who you know everything, this might be a portion of the show that is a bit of a refresher for you. But we always have a new incoming audience that is basic at best. Maybe they've heard about these terms and they don't know anything about them. So we'll start to teach them what the goodness of the Barbecue Central show is and the goodness of wet and dry aging and how they differ and what they do to beef. So that's Meathead. And then in the 35 past the first hour, our pal Robert Moss, the contributing barbecue editor of Southern Living Magazine, will join us. We have a couple different topics that we'll be talking about with him, not the least of which is getting his reaction to Daniel Vaughn 
in his last visit saying, hey, Southern Living, get the hell out of Texas. You leave reviewing Texas barbecue restaurants to Texas Monthly, take your bags and beat it. Hit the bricks, pal, and beat it because you are going out. You take care of the rest of the South. And I do know where the South is. And I do know where Maryland is in relation to where Ohio is. It is west, uh, sorry, east and south. So don't take me to task on that geographical area. I get it. So uh, Robert Moss to close the first hour, and then we'll go to the second hour. One guest, but a big enough guest to carry both sides of it. You ever heard of a guy named Aaron Franklin? Yeah, he'll be back. We're going to spend a lot of time talking to Aaron about his offset barbecue pit that he now has for retail sales, building out a dealer network. But you can also go DTC. So you can go to FranklinBBQPits.com if you don't have a dealer near you and buy one directly. So we'll talk about the offset pit, the size, the engineering that goes into it, all the weeds that typically we don't get into when it comes to cookers, because I think there is infinity for Aaron to set his cooker apart and get nerdy with it, which he can do. And I think we want to do that in this instance. So we'll talk to Aaron all about that. Once we've wrapped that portion up, we might get into a little restaurant talk. He's got a new restaurant that opened up half a year ago, the Uptown Sports Club, which is not necessarily barbecue related. So Aaron Franklin, the entirety of the second hour, holding the top where I do second takes and promote the best moments and all that stuff so that's what's happening here this evening meathead and robert moss first hour aaron franklin second hour don't forget you can follow me socially instagram x tiktok and the snapper snaps at bbq central show we say good evening to those of you watching tonight through one of our video streaming platforms facebook or twitch slash bbq central show also on youtube which is youtube.com slash at BBQ Central Show. We also have a YouTube poll question of the week. And I'm wondering, on the heels of a great best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less this past Friday, the question I'm asking everybody, including all guests, you are fully aware of who Dan from Wachula is in relation to the show, yes or no, and currently 64% of you are saying yes. You are aware of who Dan from Wachula is. I'm not going to sit here and call anybody a liar. And I see the number of votes that are currently cast. I'm going to guess that more than half of that 64% are liars. You don't know who Dan from Wachula is. Or maybe, maybe I'm wrong. You caught the best moments of the Barbecue Central show in 10 minutes or less this past Friday. So you are at least aware. But it's just my general thought. I could be way off. So let's start here this evening. It was a topic in the second hour of last week's show. And it was now, I'm sorry. uh, It was a topic in the second hour last week. And it was there instead of leading the show last week because there wasn't a lot of information that could be substantiated and there wasn't a lot of information coming from Kansas City Barbecue Society. I'm talking about the 2023 American Royal, especially the open portion. Well, a week later, at the very least, the aesthetic still remains weird. The final results for the open portion 
finalized sometime this past Friday night or Saturday morning. I couldn't put my finger exactly on it, but sometime in that time frame. And it's now showing Janky Leg Barbecue as the new grand champion of the open portion. And Machete Boys, who was who were announced as the over uh, as the uh, open grand champions on Sunday night, dropping one spot to reserve grand. There are plenty of other teams that moved up or down in their overall standings as well. Some dramatically up and down. There were also a few reports of ancillary category turn-ins like beans, sausage, things like this that were initially lost. Subsequently, they've been found. There was also a Legends barbecue competition that took place that weekend, and the results from that contest were also messed up, not necessarily from scoring issues or scoring changes, but reported to me that the list wasn't compiled correctly. Maybe we're splitting hairs at that point, but nobody's talking about that either. As I mentioned last week, I refuse to race to the internet airwaves so I can be the first one to talk about it. But more and more teams are reaching out to give me their take on the event and how it's affecting them. I've reached out to KCBS CEO Rod Gray to come on the show, talk about this in depth, and he said... As of last Thursday night, when I was corresponding with him, that he was not in a position yet to come on this show to talk in depth about it at this point. I did tell him that I had a number of very pointed questions to ask him when he comes on the show. Also, I told him that there were probably safer places for him to go and do interviews that might not ask questions that need to be asked that I will ask, but he said that he has never been one to shy away from tough questions or hide in general, so we'll see what pans out and what doesn't from an interview standpoint. If you don't see him on this show, I can say you would probably see him on, let's say, a Tailgate Guys barbecue podcast or uh, whatever Luke Darnell's show is called. Uh, you probably see him... Uh, somewhere like that the bottom line is this there's a lot of questions to be asked and answered it's the biggest barbecue competition the kcbs sanctions each year there are tech questions that need to be answered there are results questions that need to be answered there are number of judges to number of teams questions that need to be answered and i don't know if anybody's even talking about that there are the questions of how will this never happen again questions that need to be answered so i will keep you updated on this as additional news comes out if rod gray does come back on the show to discuss i'll obviously let you know about that as well Uh, this is very important this is integrity stuff and by the way is nobody asking for an audit of the invitational side of things while we're at it All questions to be asked. Meathead is ready to go. We'll talk to him here in just one second. Are you tired of settling for mediocre grilling experiences? It's time to step up your game and bring the ultimate flavor and cooker to the backyard. Pits and Spits Charcoal Grills offering the highest quality live fire cooking experience that you can get in the market today using either wood or charcoal. Their solid fuel grills produce those classic flavors you're looking for when you have time to fire up the grill and cook for family and friends. 
With a large adjustable fuel tray, you can raise and lower the fire to control and fine-tune the heat. Their take on the very popular Santa Maria-style grill. Check them out at this custom website, pitsandspits.com slash bbqcentral. That's pitsandspits.com slash bbqcentral. And when you're checking out with that brand new charcoal grill, make sure you use promo code charcoalcentral, all one word, charcoalcentral, for 150 bucks off that charcoal grill you just put in your shopping cart. Pitsandspits.com, and that's a double T on the pits and the spits. Pitsandspits.com slash BBQ Central Show. Promo code Charcoal Central for 150 bucks off any charcoal grill. You tell them the Barbecue Central Show sent you. We are back with our pal Meathead right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. You visit CookinPellets.com for more information. Check out all their offerings. And then when you're ready to buy, navigate away from CookinPellets.com and go to Amazon.com or Lowe's.com or Walmart.com and buy from there. All the same great stuff to buy. Great shipping as well that CookinPellets can offer on their website. They can ship to you from their website. They suggest using the other vendors for great shipping rates. By the way, I forgot to mention I want to thank my pal Julian over at Garden State Barbecue for the banging shirt. Super special, super simple t-shirt, which I certainly appreciate. So Julian getting credit for outfitting your humble host here this evening. Coming up now, somebody you may have never heard of, not a first time guest, a monthly guest, a barbecue hall of famer, and more importantly than that, a barbecue central shows guest hall of famer. One word and one word only, Meathead. We have a YouTube poll question of the week, Meathead, that I must get your honest reply to, which is this. You are fully aware of who Dan from Wachula is as it relates to the show, yes or no? I don't know if I know him as it relates to the show, but I believe I do know him as a good sauce and rub manufacturer. No, no. That's hot Wachulas. That's Matt Barber. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. There's 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 a lot of barbecue people in Wachula, I guess. I guess that too is a lot uh, from Wachula, Florida. I can tell you that. So uh, Meathead is back and better than ever. And we have uh, two topics for the evening here. Let's start with the subtopic. Why not? One of the pillars of success that this show was built on 
was a segment that we did roughly 700 years ago, Meathead, when Live Fire was introduced. I still believe that uh, both are separate cooking methods, but I'm not nearly as passionate to fight about it as I once was as a younger Greg Rempe. However, I saw your post on X, formerly Twitter, a month or so ago, where you said that using a griddle was not a form of barbecue or grilling. Can you explain why that is? Well, it's outdoor cooking, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll consider it uh, a pro- uh, a project to be explored by grillers and smokers. But I really think that some of these hairlines dividing different cooking techniques are a bit artificial. Um, you know, I mean, I've been known to throw a frying pan on the grill. Uh, I mean, that's basically what a griddle is. It's just a big giant frying pan. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's done outdoors. It's done with a flame. Uh, I don't need to get into the hair splitting. I love cooking on my griddle. Um, I have a new one coming shortly. And, uh, uh, you know, it's done outdoors. That's all we're saying? Yeah. I, I, you know, well, I mean, barbecue and grilling, we, if we're going to get into that topic, I think they're really hard to divide, divide or define. Um, the, the, you know, and if you want to get into this debate again, we can. But, you know, people say, well, it's low and slow. Well, what's low? Under 300? So 299 is grilling, is barbecue, and 301 is grilling? I mean, you know, where do you draw? Large cuts of meat? Our chicken breasts, chicken thighs, which they use at KCBS. Is How about that this? not barbecue? How about this you as a delineator? How about this as the delineator? Indirect versus direct. Indirect heat, barbecue, direct heat, grilling. That is the biggest delineator. Maybe we can agree well, on that. I do I do a steak reverse sear, start it indirect, finish it direct. Okay. Which one is it? It's both. Yeah. Um, you know, I just think if there's smoke and fire it's 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 one or the other or both and i don't care i don't care I you're don't the one that said that griddling wasn't barbecue or grilling i'm just bringing well, it up I, you know, you said it on the internet. Me, but i don't recall saying that i wouldn't make it i'm up. not gonna argue with you because i don't recall what i had for breakfast this morning <laughs> <laughs> i mean well, don't get on the blower and start posting stuff and then go i don't know i don't know Maybe you can do. I think I, people do that all the time on. Uh, on the I don't internet. recall saying it. You got to find the evidence. All right, I'll track it down and send it to you. We can talk about it next month. The other topic tonight is aging steak, and as I said in the open, we're constantly getting a revolving door of audience here, especially on the live portion. Maybe these folks don't have near the depth of experience that you or I have, or a lot of the longtime listeners, fans of the show that are also very accomplished competition cooks or backyard warriors that know aging of steaks. So, well, aside from the, you know, the, the expertise and the experience, there's a lot of misunderstanding. And, you know, my specialty is myth busting. Um, a lot of people don't really understand a heck of a lot about them. So even if you're an expert, maybe we can get you something that you haven't figured out yet. So let's talk about wet aging first. We'll save dry mm-hmm. aging for last because that's my favorite. And are what we see in cryovax, and we could probably talk a little bit about that as well from a packaging standpoint, is that what we would turn as wet aging? Well, yes. Um, let, let's take a step back and let's look at what happens after an animal is slaughtered. All right. Um, w- when it's slaughtered, 
it goes through rigor mortis. Um, and we're familiar with the term vaguely, but that's a point at which the muscles get very stiff. But there are enzymes living within the muscle, and they're not living, but there are enzymes. These are compounds. They're the, uh, the, 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 the like little nano cooks, um, and they they have they have the ability to change the structure of the protein. They don't affect um, the, the fats that much, but they change the structure of the protein. They break it down into new compounds like glutamates, which of course is umami. And so they alter the flavor. So you can't take a, a steer and slaughter it and eat it right away. It, it's going to be too tough. It has to go through rigor mortis. I call it green beef. And it has to age a little while until it begins to tenderize. And that tenderization can go on for weeks. Now, what's typical is, is the, the slaughterhouses or the packers, will pack it in cryovac. Cryovac is a trade name. There are other brands of plastic bags that they're put into that are pretty tight. You know, cellophane wrap that we have at home, saran wrap, is actually um, oxygen can move in and out. Cryovac, it can't. And it's important that they go in there in a fairly um, um, clean condition. You can't have bacteria or microbes in there. It has to be um, uh, fairly sanitary and no oxygen, and they shrink it down, and that now the, the enzymes can continue to work. And typically, things like if you're buying a, a, a brisket, you might find that they typically are aged for up to 28 days. 28 days seems to be a good number <clears throat> for aging beef in a cryovac or a wet aging where the enzymes have a chance to do their job and make the meat tender. Now, oh, there's something else that we should talk about with cryovac. Typically, when you cut into a cryovac bag, it's going to smell funky and don't freak out. It's known as the cryovac stink. And that's just because there's no oxygen in there. You got a lot of myoglobin. You got a lot of chemicals going on and the enzymes are changing chemicals. So when you cut into that bag, it's going to smell funky right away. It typically blows off within an hour. So don't be too, too bothered by that. And then it goes into this um, uh, stage where it's um, more tender and more juicy. And uh, uh, it's it really quite nice. And uh, if, you can, if you buy beef that is in cryovac, and you, often it will have the packaging date on there, and it's not 28 days, you can toss it in the fridge and give it a few more days. So let's say we get to 28 days, whatever the packaging date is. I throw it in there for another week. That gets me to 28 days. Since there is an air moving in and out of it, can I keep it another three weeks? Can I keep it another four weeks? Like, Where's the time or what number day do I need to keep an eye out for before the meat would turn bad? And why would the meat turn bad if there's no air getting at it? Yeah, it, it typically won't turn bad for a while, um, but it doesn't get any better. It seems that around 28 days, it gets to its peak. So if you want to try aging it longer in a bag, go right ahead. But it's not likely to improve significantly. When you say it can stay good for a while, like could it stay good for a month or two? Or is that something oh, yeah. you would need to figure yeah. out? Sure, sure. Not a problem. So that's wet aging. Now let's talk about dry aging. 
And yeah, this better, is entirely different. Better been around First a long all, time. And yeah, but I don't want to be incorrect here. It seems like it's really gained steam over the last ten years or so. Where you're seeing it all over, not just high end <clears throat> steakhouses, but let's say medium to high end steakhouses have at least a dry aged offering. Maybe they're not taking it out to crazy days like some of the higher end ones are, but they'll you see dry aged, and then you have to ask the server how many days is that, and they don't usually know, or it's usually like twenty eight days, which is you know the standard wet age too. So uh, let's talk about dry aging and, and what it does and why it may or may not be good. Well, first of all, it's not all that new, but it, you're right. It's right. gaining popularity in this country. The Egyptians used to dry age beef. And if you go to Europe, dry aged meat is quite common. Um, they often will hang meats at at um, uh, at cellar temp, hmm. which is, you know, around 55. It's not all that cold, um, uh, uh, you know, especially game birds. Um, so it's not unusual to age meat uh, uh, around the world, but it has caught on, particularly beef, ribeyes, especially strip steaks, especially. Um, it's done without the cryovac bag. It has to be kept in a temperature control and uh, often humidity control. There's some controversy now around how crucial the humidity control is. We know it has to be between 34 and 38 Fahrenheit or that's ideal, um, over 38, it, it becomes susceptible to bacteria. Yeah. And in fact, mold and bacteria do attack it on the outside. And I sent you a picture, I don't know if you can throw it up on the screen, of a 65-day um, uh, dry-aged ribeye. Mm -hmm. And if you have, listeners have video that you can see, it looks pretty, it looks like a rock. Um, it, it's heavily oxidized. Yep. I've seen it where it's completely covered in mold. Um, but once you cut off maybe a quarter inch, the meat underneath is just gorgeous. Um, but it's dehydrating. Um, the enzymes are rocking and rolling. Molds are rocking and rolling. Bacteria are rocking and rolling. Oxygen is oxidizing. Um, some people like to call it controlled rot. Um, it actually dehydrates a bit. It shrinks about 5%. And then if you trim off all that black and gray stuff from the surface, you're going to lose another 15% or Oof. so. So you might lose up to 20%. Wow. One of the reasons why it's so expensive. Um, but while the water evaporates, it shrinks the meat and it physically shrinks in size. The fat doesn't shrink because there's little water involved in fat. So the ratio of fat to meat increases. Mm. So you're going to get more marbling, essentially. Um, and, and you get a fattier sensation. But fat oxidizes faster than protein and muscle meat. So the fat will change and it will get the, if you've ever been in a, a Chinese butcher shop or in Italy uh, where they uh, sell uh, sausages and prosciutto, um, you know, this smell, it's a it's a funky uh, mushroomy, earthy smell that comes. Not everybody likes it. And before you embark on the process of home aging beef i strongly recommend that you do what i once did i took my team to a restaurant that had aged beef and there were four of us and we each ordered a different age we are 28 35 65 and 75 day age steaks 
and we shared them around the table and discussed them and found our favorites. Mine are the 28 to 35. I don't like them. They really, the flavor really changes. They get, they get, you know, if, if, if you don't like lamb, for example, um, it, 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 it doesn't taste like lamb, but its flavor is as different from beef as lamb is from beef. Um, it's an unusual flavor that not everybody likes. Some people absolutely crave it. Um, if you're among those who absolutely crave it, you can do it at home, but you can't do it or you shouldn't do it with individual steaks. Um, it's really hard to do it. Now, Alton Brown did it with individual steaks. He has this elaborate process. Uh, I write about it on AmazingRibs.com. If you want to read more, you can go to his sites and find his video where he's wrapping it in paper towels and all kinds of stuff. It's best done with a whole hunks like um, a rib primal, which is seven bones or more, um, and uh, or a, uh, um, a strip steak primal, a uh, big chunk of meat. And, uh, and, and what you do is you... Prop, you should have a separate fridge for this mm -hmm. where you can dial in the temperature. You can clean it all out real thoroughly with chlorine. Let it air out so there's no chlorine smell. You put a, um, a, a, a pan, a baking pan in there. Fill it with salt. Put a rack on top so that any drippings will fall in the salt and the salt will absorb any funky smells. Um, you got to control the temperature. Keep it under 38 and above 34. Uh, you don't want it to freeze. Um, the humidity control is trickier, um, but uh, they say 70, 80 percent is ideal. Again, I, there's some question of how crucial that is. Hmm. And then you can age it. And uh, uh, when, it, when you want, you can cut off a steak or you can cut it all up into individual steaks and freeze them. Um, and now there's a whole number of commercial devices. There's something called UMAI, U-M-A-I, <clears throat> which is a... A, a bag that you wrap the meat in and it allows air in and out um, and it, it does a very credible job and it's not terribly expensive um, to assist with the aging and prevent any funky stuff from happening there are a couple of like st st steak aging boxes there's something called the steak locker and the steak ager pro yep which are small refrigerating units that have temperature and humidity control. You can buy these devices, um, but um, they work rather well. In fact, we hired a chef who ran a restaurant famous for age steaks, and he reviewed these products for us. Mm. And we have the reviews on AmazingRibs.com if you're contemplating getting into them and you want to comparison them. Um, uh, chef Rick Gresh, um, who is a a famous uh, steak cook. I would reiterate what Meathead has said. If you're somebody that lo is looking to get in to dry age or dip your toe in the pool, if you will, try 28 days first. Then push it out, you know, 30 days until you get to a point where you think you've had enough. And then go another 30 days outside of that so you can really get the end of the spectrum of comfortableness for your palate. What I found is this. There are pretty big jumps, but uh, I noticed between 60 and 90 days, there was a jump, but it wasn't nearly the jump that 30 and 60 days was. So uh, I didn't find it. Uh, I'm going to use the word offensive. I didn't find I didn't find it as dramatic from 60 to 90 as it was from 30 to 60. So 
I just couldn't find 120 days uh, to go out and try. What's the most dry-aged steak that you've had uh, days-wise? 75. 75. And keep in mind, there are numerous other variables. Was this USDA Prime, Choice, or Wagyu? Um, was it grass-finished or grain-finished? <laughs> um, uh, the weight of the meat and the age of the steer? These are all factors that can enter into the final outcome. So it's not, remember, always people often ask me, you know, I did your pastrami recipe 10 times. It was fantastic. The last time I did it was awful. What went wrong? Well, you're not dealing with widgets that get pucka to pucka to kicked out by Ford Motors. These are animals and they vary. Uh, so uh, you, you've got all those variables. And, which enzymes are there and how long it's been since it was killed and how long it's been handled. Um, little things like you, when, you, when you get that steak home in a cryovac bag, you need to wash that cryovac before you open it to make sure there is a minimum of bacteria on, on the surface. You, all kinds of things can happen. It's tricky, but it's fun. And if, you, if you're serious about it, if you've had aged beef and you love it, mm and you want to set up a little mini fridge like a dorm fridge go for it uh, oh, one other thing i forgot to mention i put a little um uh fan in there like the kind that you, uh, you buy it for computers um it's it's a you like know a CPU AC. fan yeah it just runs it's very small very quiet but it keeps air moving you want to keep the air moving inside the fridge if you have any other further questions or you want all this great information on a website we might direct you to something called AmazingRibs.com. And then for an additional price, if you want to really nerd it up, you can join the Pitmasters Club. And maybe we have something to talk about next month about that. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, but for now, you can go and join the Pitmasters Club and share some uh, great information or get great information. You get a whole bunch of other great stuff when you sign up for that as well. And you can find Meathead right here the second Tuesday of every month. Meathead, always appreciate the time. And good on Chicago Bears for getting their first win of the season. <laughs> How about you? Good for yeah. you. And, hey, uh, a word to Robert Moss. Yes. Don't let Daniel Vaughn stare you down, dude. That's right. We're macho here. Meathead, always appreciate the time. We are, if nothing but courageous on the show, as uh, somebody once said in a past interview segment. So that's Meathead, AmazingRibs.com. It's funny. One or two previous segments as we were leading in talking about football, somehow as a Cleveland Browns fan, I felt superior over to the Browns. And then fast forward here now to week four, and somehow Chicago's in a better QB situation than Cleveland? What the hell happened? I honestly think Deshaun Watson is really hurt. The messaging has gone from shoulder injury to rotator cuff overnight. I think the odds of him playing this weekend are about less than 50-50. This is bad. Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Deshaun Watson. Who would have thought? What do we love about ceramic cookers? We love that they're fuel efficient. We love that you can achieve low and slow temperatures for traditional barbecue meats. We love that you can get rip-roaring hot for the temperature of grilling steaks and other thin cuts, but what's missing in the everyday ceramic cooker lineup, the real ability to do true two-zone cooking, 
Two Zone Cooking is important to both professional and backyard cooks alike. It's the best way to manage a fire and cook with confidence. However, getting a Two Zone fire and a round ceramic cooker isn't very realistic. Why? Because it's round. Now, I'm going to break off the read and go real-life experience. Saturday, I forgot I had some uh, steaks from the KC Grilling Company. They're going to be on here in a couple weeks. Send me some Wagyu uh, Chuckeye steaks and a strip steak and a Denver steak. And it was terrible weather outside. I didn't want to be messing around. So I seasoned them up, dumped them in the sous vide. And then after a couple hours, everybody back home, we're going to get ready to eat these steaks, went outside, set up the Primo. So a, a lot of coals on the left side, got the divider plate, then I put the deflector and then a grill grate on top uh, opposite the coals got the coals rip roaring hot a couple girls like the steaks a little more done than the rest of us so those went on a couple minutes ahead of time again on the deflected side uh, opposite no coals underneath so they're just getting some nice residual heat and then when it was time to finish we dropped those steaks down right on the coal side oh my god Never mind, it was raining like crazy for the 48 seconds I was out there on the Primo. That, who cares about that? I'm a man's man. But the Primo gets so hot, rip-roaring. Now, Chris Young says you don't need any more than 325. I get it. But I'm constantly flipping, constantly flipping, building that crust. No heat momentum to ruin my steaks. And then shut the top. Shut the top vent, shut the bottom vent. Thing extinguishes out. I got two or three more cooks left in that load of charcoal before I even refuel. It's great. Primogrill.com. Find a dealer near you and hook up with a Primo already. We're back with Robert Moss right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. And we thank Meathead for joining us last segment, talking about the aging of steaks, wet and dry. He claimed he didn't remember saying that griddling was an outdoor cook. Where else would I be inspired to even mention that as a subject? I mean, he wrote it on Twitter. What is he doing? <laughs> Come on, meathead. Uh, this segment brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or via Bluetooth if you have to. If you have smart speakers in your home, you're in luck because Fireboard fully integrated with most of those. And don't forget about the new Fireboard beacon that is coming up. Or you can get temperature and humidity readings through Sub-1G or Sub-G1, but I believe it's Sub-1G. You can find out more by visiting Fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. Uh, Paul Rosenberg, or Broadcast Barbecue, but Paul Rosenberg is saying, Wow, Greg Rock in the Garden State Barbecue t-shirt. Yes, of course. Julian sent me that shirt, and I said I would be honored to wear it on a show. So if you have a brand or a T-shirt and you want me to wear it on the show, just send it my way. I'll wear it. I don't care. I love it. I love when you people uh, outfit. I love when you people add to my wardrobe. That's my favorite. <laughs> I love it. Hey, my next guest is the contributing barbecue editor to Southern Living Magazine. 
He is also an author and a sometimes podcast host, restaurant reviewer, and regular contributor to this show monthly. I am, of course, talking about Robert Moss. Robert, we have a YouTube poll question of the week that I'm asking everybody, and I feel like a lot of people are lying, but uh, we're going to ask that you don't lie here. You are fully aware of who Dan from Wachula is in relation to the show, yes or no? Uh, I have no idea who Dan from Wachula is in relation to the show. All right. Well, I certainly Uh, appreciate that. I figured out from context clues from Meathead segment that that Wachula is in Florida, but that's about all I know on that subject. Yeah, so there was, uh, not was, there is a very successful competition barbecuer named Matt Barber, who uh, runs the team Hot Wachulas, which is obviously based in Wachula, Florida. And then uh, Hot Wachulas is also a sauce and rub co-packer, does quite a bit of business down there. But Dan from Wachula is totally unrelated. Well, I don't know if he's totally unrelated to Matt Barber, but uh, Dan from Wachula used to call into the show back when the live show was just getting its legs. And uh, he was a card, to say the least. So we wonder what the hell is even going on with Dan from Wachula. Hope he's doing well, if he's still alive. So I appreciate your insight there. Currently, 50-50 YouTube voters are saying yes or no. They know who Dan Wachula is. I don't feel so bad. I'm I'm at least batting 500. Uh, This was such an off-the-wall YouTube question. I thought we were going to have 80 to 90% going, who the hell is that guy? And I'm surprised we're at 50-50. The only reason I can think about that is maybe they caught the show this past Tuesday for the best of, which featured a call from Dan. So they were indoctrinated 72 hours ago to who this Dan is. So they're just claiming that they know who he was, but he had many different phone calls. Anyway, last time you were on, we talked about the release of Southern Living uh, barbecue, top 50 barbecue joints. And we talked about uh, the top ones, how the list is culminated uh, or uh, how the, the list is um, gone over and, and accumulated. And then subsequently, I had a quarterly visit with the editor from Texas Monthly Barbecue, and he didn't seem to have any problem with the list other than saying, hey, why not, Southern Living, stay off my lawn and leave the Texas barbecue joints to Texas? And we're so big and we have so many restaurants. You can't do it just. Leave, leave it the hell alone. Leave it to us. And then take all the other South, whatever that is, to Southern Living, and we'll go from there. Your thoughts? Uh, well, I have many, many thoughts. Right. Um, it definitely was a topic of conversation. In fact, we had a whole seminar to, devoted to that topic at really? the recent, uh, barbecue editors uh, convention <laughs> uh, here in Charleston. Uh, it was between the chips and the fajitas. Um, but, uh, you know, and I agree with Daniel on, on some point. I mean, he has a, a point uh, or a few a few points. Um you know, yes, it's hard. It'd be a lot easier for me to not have to include Texas in the list. You know, in fact, you know, uh, he had to get on a plane to get to, uh, I think, El Paso to, yeah, to visit. Yeah, sure. uh, you know, some, some, I have to get on a plane just to get to Texas. You know, it's a it's a long ass drive from, from South Carolina. It would be a lot easier. Texas is big. I, I did a little math uh, a little while ago and um in terms of square miles, Texas is bigger than 
Georgia, Alabama, both Carolinas and Tennessee combined. Wow. So that's a, it's a lot of territory to cover. The population is almost is just slightly smaller than than those states combined. So it's it's a lot of territory to cover and it make it make my life a, a lot easier. Um however, it's sort of hard to do a top 50 barbecue joints in the South list and, and keep Texas out. A lot of people, well, the first thing everyone would say is where the hell's Texas if I produce that list? And they'd, no one reads the footnote and no one would say that we decided that Daniel Vaughn did not want us to come into Texas. So we decided to leave leave uh, Texas, Texas to Daniel. So as much as I would like to do it, uh, I would not like to be on the receiving end of social media when I publish a list of the top 50 barbecue joints in the South with, with no Texas joints on it. Because you, you know, you're not going to argue over whether Kentucky and Maryland and yeah, the Missouri is in the South, but uh, it, it, it's a lot harder to argue that Texas is not a, a Southern state in, in, in my book. I was taking the task last month when I kept my harp on this whole Maryland thing with a guy going, hey, uh, show me on a map where you think Maryland is in relation to Cleveland. I'm like, dude. I vacation in Maryland like two years in a row. I've driven there. I know where it is. Like I, I understand what you're talking about. But for my mental midget mind, when I think of the South, uh, I immediately think of drawls. I immediately think of Southern sweet tea and uh, nobody moving at faster than a snail's pace because they don't care to. And that's the way they do things in the South. I don't get that from Maryland at all. I mean, it's pretty it's as north as the South can get, I guess. So um, that's the only reason I bring that up. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll leave Maryland to the side for now. So uh, but but, uh, you know, going back to Daniel, um, (laughs) he has a has a point, you know, however, I will say this. um, Yeah, I do thank him. He's doing a great job of of covering Texas for me. There is no way I could visit all the barbecue joints in Texas. Yeah, Uh, he's doing a great job, sort of like a farm team. He's out there scouting for me. I sort of let him bubble up what's worth visiting (laughs) and then and then go 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 check those out. And I I did go do a little um, sanity check and just to make sure if I'm missing a lot, is he out there just turning up all these these fantastic restaurants that somehow don't end up on Southern Living's list because mm-hmm. we don't have a full-time person embedded in, in Texas. Um, I went back to the last list, which is 2021. Uh, there are, just looking at the top 10, um, of the top 10 lists, there are nine out of the 10 I've been to. The, they've been made his list, so I've I've been I've covered all those. The one I've not been to is Evie uh, Evie Mays, which is way out in Wolford or the outskirts of El Paso, way in West Texas. I just oh, wow. have not been able to get there. Though I, I have met Arnis and, and Mallory at, at events, and, that, and I keep promising I'm going to get out there as soon as I can I can make it that way. So I've been to nine out of ten. Um, of those ten, seven of them made it onto the top fifty list. So it's not like he's out there turning up all these wonderful restaurants that, that, that don't somehow make it onto the list. Now he and I do disagree a good bit on our criteria and we'll, we'll lay it out. I think he talked a little bit about it. I'll be upfront about it. He focuses very much on the food and his is very much about what's on that bill platter of meat and just sort of trying to judge the the quality of the meat one after another. Um, I focus much more and I say this up front in, in, in the list on the experience and on the overall uh, overall atmosphere and and you know a little bit bigger more more qualitative i guess i don't have a point system and i don't grade the, the meat necessarily you know on a on a point system but i'm covering a much larger area i have a much more diverse 
slate of meats and you know, I'm not just comparing one slice of brisket to a, to another. So we just have different different criteria when, when it comes to that. So I think there's room for both lists and, and for overlap. And, you know, as much as I would love to not have to make the effort, because it is a lot of effort to get out to Texas. And, and by the way, Texas makes it hard on you because they all um, have lines that are three hours long. And if you don't get in them, you don't get to eat. And then they, they, they go to they sell out. So if you want to hit six t- barbecue restaurants in Texas in, in a day, good luck. Because yeah. you're going to make one, they'll sell out. Now you get to the next one, they're they're gone. So you can usually do one a day. So uh, I do appreciate the work that Daniel's done for me, though. He's really you know, sort of helped you know, be, be the, the, the Sherpa, if you will, to, to lead the way and has, has done a great job. But I think we'll be coming back to Texas again, right, again see, next year. I see what you're doing there. I have a couple follow-up <laughs> questions here. So would it make sense for Southern Living to station an additional Texas correspondent only so they can kind of do what Daniel does, but now it's a Southern living person. Understand that it's your list. You're the one that does it all. But given the fact that Texas is Texas, size, girth, all that stuff, maybe it makes sense to install somebody there. Maybe you move from Carolina and and go to Texas and become, you know, the, the competing Daniel Vaughn. We've lost uh, Chuck Blount, of course, from the San Antonio Express News. So, this could be a calling that we don't even know about. <laughs> well, it could be. I, I would say that uh, Texas Monthly is very unusual in having a full-time staffer uh, who on, on staff who just covers barbecue. Um, there, I don't know of any other publication that does that. Yeah. Everybody else who writes about barbecue is is uh, you know sort of a part timer who who does it for you know they don't get paid, but it but not it's not a full-time job for anybody. So yeah, I'd love it um, if we could figure out how the economics would work to to pay that person's salary. I, I would fully I would fully endorse it. Secondly, in regards to how you're evaluating, is the delineator here that Southern Living's reader base is more concerned or more interested in the overall perspective, what you're giving versus what Daniel and his team is doing, which is breaking down the meat good or the meat's bad? Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's exactly the case. I just think it's a different approach to, to barbecue. Um, yeah, I think Texas Monthly, and this is the nature of Texas, and barbecue is such a big deal in Texas and has just grown. Uh, and Texas Monthly has been a large part of, of driving that, and Daniel yep. himself, of you know, sort of driving the, the Texas barbecue boom. It's become so big in Texas, it's sort of taken on a life of its own. It's it, you know There are people who will follow that Texas Monthly top 50 and treat it like a passport and check it, check it off. And you know, there's a whole barbecue subculture there that I don't think is quite as strong throughout the South. I think people throughout the South love barbecue. They love to eat it. Um, it's sort of curious with, with Southern Living's um, barbecue, it almost falls under the, not the food area because Southern Living does lots and lots of recipes and, and cooking type, type things. It really falls more under the travel area. It's much more along the lines of, you know, you're traveling around the South. Where do you want to go eat? You know, where do you want to stop off? You know, it's places to visit along the way, which is a little bit way of a different way of looking at it than, um, than the way Texas Monthly does it. I, I don't think that necessarily, you know, it filters through. I think the, the, the lists are probably more of a reflection of Daniel's personality versus mine, uh, the, the less than it is, you know, about the particular editorial stance of the, of the publication. But I do see, think that the way I approach it certainly fits in a little bit better with, um, with Southern Living's just general um, – Sort, sort of general editorial approach than if we were trying to be you know very hyper focused on barbecue and 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 run barbecue features you know every week. Daniel wrote an article recently about the Texas bubble 
of barbecue bursting or being on the verge of bursting uh, as somebody who spends time in Texas at any given moment, uh, like yourself, your thoughts on the article and could that also be expanded across the globe or across the nation? Yeah, I thought it was a great article. I think it really did a good job uh, and really talked to a lot of people and I think put his finger on uh, you know, a definite trend that's happening uh, uh, with a lot of things. I think a lot of that bubble was fueled it sort of started with the trendiness of barbecue before the pandemic but then the pandemic really shifted that you had a lot of people who sort of shifted careers who decided to move into this new thing at the same time that the barbecue was taken off i think you and daniel talked about it you know you have a lot of folks who are setting up food trucks they're run, maybe running on a saturday or yep. friday and saturday while they're doing other jobs um and i think you know that's sort of been building and I think it's just stronger in Texas. You know, it, it always amazes me when I go to Texas, just the sheer number of barbecue operations that are there. You're just driving down the road and there's a guy over here with a truck and there's a guy over here with a stand. And, you know, it's just, it's just all over the place. Um, so I think it's a little more pronounced in Texas than I see it elsewhere. But I think that is, you know, it's, it's one thing to launch a business. It's another thing to keep it running for a year, two years, especially at a time when we have just the food prices all all your supply prices are going up and up and up. So I think you're seeing convergence of a lot of forces in Texas. Mm. One, which is the boom of barbecue drawing a lot of people into it. So now you have a very crowded market. But then on the other hand, you got brisket prices going through the sky. I do think it's a little ironic that um, uh, Texas brisket is now taking the world by storm. And as a result, it's threatening Texas. It's the supply <laughs> of brisket and making it more expensive. Um, yeah, I don't know whether the hog prices are in comparison, but I would I would suggest maybe uh, turning turning to whole hog as a, as an alternative. But um, but you know, I'll, you know, jokes aside, I think it is it's a serious issue that's that's confronting a lot of people, and I think a lot a lot of things will see the boom. A lot of people will wash out of it, and you know I, I don't think barbecue is going anywhere, but I think the business is in for a bit of a shakeout in in the next year or two. I don't know that it's as bad in the rest of the South as Texas, but I, th I think it's a little bit different. I, you know, I've, I was actually just at a barbecue festival two weeks ago, two weekends ago. I talked to a lot of barbecue guys. I don't hear them talking as much about the same issues. Um, I think labor is still a big issue. It's starting to turn a little bit. Um, I don't think barbecue joints elsewhere are necessarily competing head on with the other barbecue joints in town they're more competing for restaurant dollars across the board so it's not just you know there's eight barbecue trucks which one is going to get the dollar it's much more that there's you know barbecue and there's burgers and there's tacos you know and there's lots of restaurants to, to compete with that's more the dynamic i see um i think i i'm hearing a lot people trying to open restaurants are really struggling with costs but it's construction costs it's delays it's it's supplies, it's, it's restaurant equipment. So I think you're seeing some of the same pressures, but just a little slightly different, maybe um, outside of Texas. We'll talk more about it next month on the recap side of things. But this coming weekend is the Jack Daniels World Invitational Barbecue Championship. Uh, this coming off the heels of what has been probably the most controversial American yeah. Royal uh, Invitational slash open contest uh, that we've seen in recent history. Uh, what are you going to do? Are you judging? And then... If so, what do you look forward to in a judging capacity? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to judge. Um, this is the first time I've been to the Jack and uh, first oh. time I've been a, a judge, you know, at a, it's a KCBS. Uh, so so I'm, I'll, I'll get my KCBS judging uh, boot camp on, on uh, Friday and get certified. Uh, I've judged quite a number of other barbecue uh, competitions, but never quite with that, that, that scoring. I'm more just looking, you know, to, to a get there and, and just sort of, you know, I've, I've not been to Lynchburg before, which is, I'm not sure how, but I'm looking forward to just being there, looking forward to meeting everybody and spending time and then just have the experience of uh, being a judge in, in one of the, with the big majors. And I'll try to make sure I keep my scorecard very neat and, and easy to read. And so it's easy to tally at the, at the end of the day. I need you to be the reporter's reporter and really track how you're feeling and what you think about this experience because whenever i have anybody on the show it's magical it's picturesque it's serene there's an aura <laughs> blah 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 and then off air they're like that place is a shithole <laughs> i'm trying to figure out what's real and what's not so when you come back next month you're gonna lay I, it I will all give out. you the unvarnished uh yes. experience i will say i'm not going in with any romantic illusions i've judged enough barbecue competitions to know that after a certain point it gets to be just sort of drudgery i yeah. mean there's one box after another just and they keep coming and then they all taste the same so i'll be curious to see um you know, this is probably the most formal experience I've had yet judging. So I'm, I'm cur- I'll be curious to see, you know, is it enjoyable or is it just like, yeah, I mean, I'm stuck in a tent with a bunch of styrofoam boxes that I really want to get out of here. We can't <laughs> wait for the recap. That'll be next month. It's Robert Moss, robertfmoss.com is website. Robert, always appreciate the time and we'll see you in November. November. Yeah, wow. gosh, already. All right. And good luck. Safe travels to the Jack. Hopefully uh, that one goes off without a hitch. I know that's not a point accumulator for team of the year because it's invitational and uh, there were a number of teams uh, left off. I mean, there's always teams left off on the side like there is every year. But uh, This year especially seemed like there were a lot of teams uh, left out. But such as it is, of course, that's the majesty of the Jack Daniels. Let's go ahead and wrap the first hour. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. And we thank Robert Moss for joining us last segment. RobertFMoss.com, his website. You can see his readings, writings. You can listen to his podcast. See the restaurant reviews that he's done all linked on over there. And he's a second Tuesday of the month regular guest here, 35 past the first hour, right after Meathead. Currently, 57% of you do not know who Dan from Wachula is. And there's no way to do an instant poll on top of an instant poll here, but I'm wondering if a lot of you folks listened to the Best Moments show this past Friday and heard Dan. Also, you got to hear a Walt from Wilton, one and only time caller, secretly talking about horse meat and stuff like that. Yeah, that was weird. Also interested in hearing Robert talk about... uh, Was anybody else listening to the words that he was using? 
uh, Daniel Vaughn is his uh, AAA barbecue review team. I believe Sherpa was thrown around <laughs> doing all the footwork so they can roll in there and give their own opinions. All right. Maybe I'm the only one that saw that. But I'm sure Daniel Vaughn will have something to say about that next time he's on. We are getting ready to head to the second hour. We have an all Aaron Franklin second hour, so stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Network.